If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dirk Pullman Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, welcome and bienvenue. Welcome to the Dirk Pullman Show, as always, from Berlin, Germany. And um, my guest today is my cherished colleague, uh, Pelleni Ruth, uh, from Sweden and Great Britain, whatever you want to call him, he's both. <laughs> and uh, my topic today is uh, are two, really. It's One is um, Sweden announced that the investigations into Nord Stream 2 uh, are over. And the second uh, is that, um, yeah, the, the Putin interview, which I watched two times now, and I think it's more important than we heard before. And I will talk about how it was uh, taken in Germany and in Sweden. Um, but first, Pelle, um, what was the reaction? This is really uh, among colleagues and so on about uh, about the Nord Stream pipeline. And I just see that I forgot to switch on my computer to the current. So while you answer, mm -hmm. I do that. Right, okay. <laughs> okay, so I think... Um the uh there were two approaches um one is that these uh, some swedish media actually pointed out that the the failure of the swedes to point out they, they were first at the scene of this crime and they didn't really go into it they've been doing an uh, investigation for 16 months and i don't think anyone had any expectations or anything i mean sweden has a long history of sort of political maneuvering in terms of not pointing out um, great powers as guilty for the things that happened to them. And uh, usually sort of discretion is the best policy they found. And you could call it um, survival skills or cowardice. And uh, as Ian Dirk have talked about before, uh, the same thing happened with uh, Dag Hammarfeldt, who was a Swedish UN Secretary General, whom I think was assassinated by Western powers. And ditto Olof Palme, and both times the Swedes did anything but uh, follow the trail to its logical conclusion. Um, the, the first reactions from the, the Swedish media, I mean, the the, um, the 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 liberal press are resolutely anti-Russian, and the articles I saw they can't, might not be a bit exhaustive, and I don't subscribe to their I don't subscribe to them, so I can just see the web coverage, and they are sort of, as usual, they just attack. I mean, it's it's a standard technique when you don't want to discuss the issue at hand, you discuss the interviewer's hairstyle almost. I mean, what I'm what I mean is that <laughs> they use words like the controversial, familiar, far right, that beloved word far right, which covers so many things, and and it sets off mm. this Pavlovian reaction in many Swedish uh, people's minds. Uh, Tucker Carlson interviewed Putin and was repeating Trumpian talking points, you know. And, you know, when, when the Swedes, Swedish media and some of the TV coverage and radio coverage was like that, when the Swedes used, say the word Trump, they don't say Trump, they say Donald Trump. And then you know that you've got to hate the guy because it, it puts across this contempt, you know, the body language and uh, language, the tone of voice is seven-tenths of communication. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of that. But um, I did look at the... Um, uh, Swedish television uh, web analysis of it saying that the the so it was a little bit more sober and this is the most sober thing I've seen so far which was that the uh, Swedes were going to go on the offensive and they were going to point someone out but then um, especially the investigators but then wiser counsels prevailed and they decided not to do so because either 
either direction would have been complicating for Sweden. If they pointed out the Russians, uh, it would have created a, a momentum for an escalation, a political escalation. And ditto with Ukraine, if the Ukrainians had done it, it would have created problems for Sweden's support of Ukraine and so on. Note, of course, uh, this Ukrainian thing, in my view, is just a cover story that were put out by the CIA after it happened, after it became a big story in Germany. And I don't think it's Ukraine. I think it's probably the US or maybe the UK or something. And these shadowy Ukrainians working from a yacht. I mean, it's just so implausible, but that's as far as the Swedes go. And I don't think it was the Russians at all. But, you know, um, so I think that that's the that's a summary of, of the Swedish I haven't seen it being a talking point so much. I mean, I think the Swedes bit blase about it and don't expect too much. Mm. Um, there are some, um, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's what I can say so far. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so there were no comments on. Uh, I remember um, to without finishing the first sentence, which is a disease that I own. But um, I remember that the constitution in Sweden was changed, uh, that you cannot uh, hand out stuff that would diminish the the yeah, the the situation regarding uh, United Nations or NATO. So stuff that would uh, that would uh, yeah damage the situation i think this is the wording uh that uh that this is not allowed uh, was there any discussion about uh that it's uh you know tr just trying to be honest enough to say that this is a very touchy subject and we avoid it uh, i remember in germany um immediately after it happened like immediately like four five weeks later sarah wagenknecht wanted to know what the german uh <clears throat> A criminal so the the people who are investigating the the whole thing from the intelligence side and from the uh, let's say our fbi which is the pkr um uh, and the answer was that there could be no official answer because it could damage uh the the um the good being the well-being of the german state i've never heard that before yeah mm -hmm. so it was uh, uh, the truth would uh, could be dangerous to the well-being of the german state but that at least gives you an idea that yeah. we're talking about very touchy things what about that is there any discussion in sweden that you no, uh, better shut I, up? Well, I, the, the impression i get is that um the swedes are it's one of those open secrets that you know like let's say at a family gathering where there's there was a, a danish film called festen i think in 1995 where the fathers are yeah i remember that one. child <laughs> abuse or something and they agreed not to talk about it, and then it all came out and in, anyway the swedes are quite good at that because it's not a it's a, some ways it's a transparent society but in some ways not there is also it's a cohesive society uh, a relatively small mm. one so they know instinctively uh, not to probe these things. So I haven't seen a really intelligent uh, debate or transparent debate for and about people sort of, you know, there's a kind of, I, I guess there's, I think I haven't seen any polls, but I think people are wised up to the fact I don't see any, any outpouring of uh, Russophobia, which is the standard mode of a lot of, there are a lot of um, Swedish, particularly male Russophobes, you know, engineering quite, mm -hmm. The upper middle class who are just true to form because they've always been russophobic based in stockholm mm. and uh, they they never they do not wait for an excuse to bash russia and they've been a bit absent on this so far so mm. i think that they know as well that it's probably uh, the west even though it's not spoken about that's my feeling i mean you it's mm. hard to 
to get you get vibrations i suppose just from being out and about with people and i don't i feel there's a sense of well you know if it was the west it was justified uh because the russians are bad you know um i think the um um the the the, the explode i think <clears throat> what <clears throat> what, what the West did with the Nord Stream pipeline was it at the same time it uh, you know what NATO NATO is keep the Russians out and keep the Germans down and it, in a way from a, from an American perspective the Ukraine war has been a success whatever happens because the Russians are pushed away from Europe which is the age old goal of the Anglo powers and it has mm -hmm. kept Germany down you know you've got a sort of comprador elite who doesn't care about Germany uh, but they've also which is a kind of novelty. Uh, brought in the Scandinavians uh, as adversaries of Germany because by by being complicit in the Nord Stream thing, which affects Germany more than anyone else, because uh, it's like a, a mafia. I think I've said this before. If you're a, a, a leader of a mafia gang, you make sure that the newcomers are put it, put, get either shoot a policeman, and that shows that they're not policemen themselves, or you, mm. you tell them about what you're doing. So that if it ever comes out, you can say, well, you knew about it and why didn't you do anything about it? So the Swedes know, mm -hmm. and that means that they cannot, they are kind of complicit against Germany. And that creates a wedge between Germany and Sweden, which are kind of natural allies, especially in, uh, in, the, in their relationship to Russia and their general way of thinking. So I think that the Americans or the British have cleverly brought in the Scandinavians on the Anglo side um, against Germany. So mm. I was, I, I remembered after Brexit, um the um some swedes i i told swedes well where 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 are you going after brexit i mean are you because culturally uh they're i say I, 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 sometimes i say that the swedes are like germans who are wish they were british you know <laughs> and um <laughs> so okay th <laughs> there's an watch. enormous <laughs> cultural soft power from britain and the us i mean don't underestimate the british soft power among the well-educated mm -hmm. classes, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so they talk about, oh, we've got to ban RT because 2% of the population watches RT for three minutes a day, and that's propaganda. Mm -hmm. But hey, we've we've just watched, binge watched Monty Python for five hours. That's not propaganda, soft power, you know, mm -hmm. that's just normal. So mm -hmm. the Swedes are very, uh, uh, unbelievably pro-British and pro-American, but particularly pro-British, I'd say. And um, I think I was saying to people in a, I, I, I trolled the Swedes. I said, well, are you going to be allied to the British and the Americans now? I mean, where is your new political geopolitical direction? Why don't you make friends with the Chinese? Whatever. Then mm -hmm. they had no answer to that. But I think what's happened with the, the NATO crisis or the Ukraine crisis is, is that Swedes are now in the Anglo fold uh, for the foreseeable future. So that decision has been made for them. I don't think they have any, uh, have any freedom there. So. And mm. you, I have to say that's a victory for the uh, Anglo-Americans. I think that's the big, big take home, big, big thing. Whatever happens, uh, I think the British and the Americans have locked in Scandinavia. Mm. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I can relate to, to uh, what you're saying there. Um, it is also, um, I mean, in Germany, you, uh, our Chancellor Scholz uh, just had a visit with uh, the walking mummy i don't know what to call him yeah <laughs> biden <laughs> that is uh, um <clears throat> i mean it's ridiculous if this guy can be a president then everybody can be a president you also know it's not important that there's anybody a president 
uh, the government is somewhere else. But they were standing, of course, uh, close to each other again. Uh, the last time that I recall was when Biden uh, announced that there would be no Nord Stream uh, if the Soviets, uh, sorry, the Russians would go into um, into Ukraine. And then afterwards, um, we were told that, uh, how can you come up with the idea that it was the Americans? That's, <laughs> uh, that is really, um, in, in a way funny. But again, now we were talking, the new thing is that, uh, uh, Schultz has been told in the United States that uh, no money anymore from the sugar daddy USA to Ukraine. And now Germany will have to stop, step in. And, uh, they are very happy. Um, and while at the same time, I just saw a list of the companies who de the German companies who de-invested in Germany. And uh, I can tell you, it's serious. This is not, mm -hmm. it's nothing to joke about anymore. It's, mm -hmm. uh, and that's also in, in Putin's uh, interview. He mentioned that, that, uh, these are irresponsible people, he said, and it's uh, Germany being run against the wall. I mean, that is definitely true. Um, but I wondered, um, you know, it took me, quite some time to understand when I look at Sweden, why all these investigations are fake. I think the last one that really was a good investigation was Graf Volke Bernadotte. And I think that was 1948, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the murder. And from there on, it went downhill in a way. Yeah, And there's also the mm. Estonia case, which is very, the ferry that sunk, um, mm. lots of, lots of a huge catastrophe in, in uh, with shipping, yeah, I don't mm. several hundred dead, yeah. On the, mm. um, I mean, it was, and then after uh, things, what came to the surface, what emanated, sort or emerged, mm. you can say, was uh, that there is some shady dealings with nuclear material that obviously mm. went on via this ferry, yeah. But then mm. again, this was never tackled sufficiently. Uh, uh, by that, and, but your explanation is that it's the kind of big harmony thing in Sweden that don't rock the boat, don't uh, crash the party, don't accuse yeah. the father of being a child molester. Is it that? Well, I think, I, I mean, um, I'm trying to sort out in my own mind because when I first came to Sweden, I used to tease them. I, I say, what Sweden, you know, Churchill in 1945, when then, when the, um, is it, uh, said when when the Swedes wanted to go into Norway to disarm the German soldiers in May of 1945, um, Churchill said, why should the Swedes be allowed to occupy Norway? We should be occupying Sweden. <laughs> and what he meant was <laughs> they were a bunch of Nazis, you know, <laughs> and uh, cowards or whatever. And that, that accusation of being cowards, I think for a certain segment of the population, uh, Heart feels it, 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 it offends Swedish. I think it uh, offends the Swedish sense of pride. And mm. so they have a Churchill complex. And because, especially because, you know, let's say films like Dunkirk, uh, all these war movies, they've made their way to Sweden. And so they, they, they have this envy, penis envy, if you like, of the British. And um, um, I think that especially a younger generation, that the, the post-social democratic, post-Palmer generation, feel this stronger. I mean, what I've noticed is that when uh, I grew up in, in Palmer, Sweden, it was very much uh, like socialist, communist world where you had a lot of uh, East German cartoons and there's a lot of propaganda for peace and um, mm. uh, and uh, propaganda for neutrality and so on. Uh, but when I came back, you know, 30 years later, a few years later to talk to them um, after I met my girlfriend, the sort of classic 
leftist type, you know, a young youngish woman writing uh, articles for the uh, Express and newspaper. She was kind of praising Churchill and praising war movies, and that's unthinkable for her mother's generation. So there's that kind mm-hmm. of fascination for the for the British. So what I'm saying is that there is a strong feeling in Sweden that our neutrality p- period was a period of shame, and we must stand up for our democratic values. So that often means an automatic alignment with Anglo-American positions. And I think, for instance, mm-hmm. I mean, if I can go on, tell me if to stop, because I'm, I'm going into mm-hmm. my sort of greatest hits mode here. But I mean, I think that the, <laughs> the talk about Swedish humanitarian imperialism, and I think uh, when Hammarskjöld went to Africa and when Palme and the Swedes went to condemn apartheid very strongly, that was partly because it was that generation of politicians who'd been children and young men when Sweden was neutral in the war. And the British mm. were swaggering and walking tall in Europe as the winners and the fighters for democracy and freedom and so on. And the Swedes couldn't, didn't, couldn't do anything about that. But when they went to Africa, they were suddenly the good white man who was standing up from a democracy, not because they, they were better than the Soviet Union and better than America. They were the white yes. hats, you know. <laughs> so they could be better than either power, colonial power. And the British were on the defensive there because of decolonization and uh, empire. So the the Swedes could win a victory, and they used to smack the British over the head with that. I know it because I've I've seen many encounters in Anglo-Swedish encounters where the Swedes will say something like, "Well, in, you know, you had colonialism," and I I can see this rage rising in the British. And this was before Britain went woke. But I mean, I when mm. I when I went to to England, I went to a very posh public school, and I remember uh, encounters between Swedes and English people there because I had some Swedish friends. And I I could see this kind of oppressed, suppressed rage in the British because they suddenly had their goodness badge taken away from them and suddenly they were the bad guys. And then a few months after that, Palmer was killed. And when Palmer was killed, I thought, oh, so it's happened. And I know who did it, even though, Mm -hmm. because I could see the different narratives that the Swedes had and the British had about who they were and if they were good or bad people. So what Let's I'm go to the ads is, and get back to this. Uh, yeah, uh, keep your mind. Sorry. I write it yeah, down yeah. because uh, I think it's a good, uh, good uh, restart to go. Who probably killed Palme? Because we haven't yeah. heard that from the Swedish investigation. Huh? Okay. Right. Okay. I'm TNT. <laughs> Sonia Porton. You feel the need to describe yourself, along with being a useless eater, free speech isn't a phobia, as a male with a penis. Why would you feel the need to describe yourself as such? Well, you never know these days, do you? Anyone can have a penis, apparently. So just thought you better make sure everybody knows. And that and that is the reality, isn't it? Words have lost all meaning. And one of the things that I wanted you to come on and come and join me about and comment about is the whole issue of gender and transgenderism. Are you cis, Jack? No, there's no such thing. There was, there was literally no such thing till a couple of years ago. And it's, it's their religion. It's not mine. And I refuse to get involved with this sort of terminology. It's ridiculous. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. You are about to to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country is all about. TNT Radio. 
Yeah, and yeah. back uh, with uh, Pelenirut, and uh, we just stopped uh, because the last time really that I was really so disappointed uh, with Sweden um, that um, it it changed my mind on the country was the Palme yeah. investigation, the new Palme investigation. Mm. I even um, via a friend that we both share um, mm. uh, gave them some material <clears throat> or. A friend mm. gave them the material, <laughs> uh, but um, I didn't think it because it was only mm. um, rough leads. I had a very strange interview with a guy who was uh, a deep operative, a CIA operative in Europe, and I handed that over. Um, and but uh, the question, really, the official version is so ridiculous. It's the mm. Lee Harvey Oswald version of the JFK murder that I don't go into that. You can just. Uh, mm. You can just forget it it's not but uh, uh what what you had you did some interviews yeah. which were really interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. regarding I, I've the done, I've yeah a lot yeah. of work on that i mean i know i re i've realized that I've, I've been saying this on several tnt programs maybe uh, people get bored with it on the other hand i'm i am sort of um the anglophone journalist who knows this very important part of the world very well compared to you mm -hmm. know someone working in the new york times and whatever so it's important to get out and my skill set and my knowledge set fits perfectly. It's very, very relevant to what's going on in Northern Europe and NATO, because obviously the Swedish um, Palmer was flirting with the Soviet Union and he was flirting with neutrality and flirting with peace. And also he was an ide ideological competitor to uh, the British and Americans because he was, again, he was presenting a, a Europe that was not NATO and it was very successful and not it was one of the richest countries in the world. And conversely, if it could be proved that the British took out Palmer, uh, that shows that the British, it's devastating for Britain's reputation because it shows that the British don't only go after bad guys with moustaches and brown skin who oppress their own populations, but against a, a very successful social Democrat. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly bad look, if that can be proved. And I mean, I mean the thing is, it's that this trail is just... Oh, he was basically um, talking to Gorbachev and he was saying to his uh, intelligence services, talk to the KGB. I mean, let's say like Ukraine, one of the options for Ukraine was to be Finland, a Finland option, which was to be a bridge between East and West and having good, good relations with both. The Kissinger and version, more or less. Kissinger proposed exactly, something or, or, like that. Yeah. And the question is how independent you can be or whatever. Finland was mm -hmm. Finlandized, everyone says that was bad for Finland, but I mean, it worked well for Finland during the Cold War. And then the NATO was saying, well, if Russia is moving its positions west and taking over Sweden. And that we even talks of a coup that Palmer would like the coup in Czechoslovakia in 1948, when the democratic country, which was not part of the agreed bloc with Stalin, actually went for the socialists. And Poland and was a very successful country, Czechoslovakia. So was Sweden going to be the next thing? And I remember the de debates. Uh, among right-wing circles or bourgeois circles at dinner parties. And if you talk to my uncles, they were businessmen, prosperous businessmen. And that was just in the air that, you know, somebody's mm. going to take out this guy because he's going to turn us into a Soviet Republic. And there was a lot of NATO propaganda fed into the, the daily press and so on. And I think he was just trying to balance that he had a realistic approach. At the same time as he preserved his sort of moral, his um, the, the, the sort of excess enthusiasm for the ideological part of the population, was spent on Africa, which was safe, a safe destination. So Swedes went into aid work and the UN was very powerful or important at that time. And that's where Swedes focused their attention. They spent a lot of money on the anti-apartheid movement.
along with the Soviet Union, which is another strike against Sweden, because the Soviets funded the ANC's military needs and the Swedes funded its humanitarian needs. But in fact, the two things are indistinguishable. I mean, if you've got money for the for one, you, you can save money to spend on the other. Anyway, um, I think that um, Palmer knew, uh, he, had, he had a sense of about the Swedish Achilles heel in my mind, which is this obsession with Russia, if it's let out, it's almost like an alcoholic. You never give him a drink because he will never stop, you know. And Swedish history mm. has always ended up badly when the Swedes indulge themselves and uh, indulge their Russia hatred, which can be almost as um, powerful as the Polish Russophobia. And I think, unfortunately, Sweden has caught that disease now, and it's going to—it won't end well. That's what I worry about. And um, the because um, Swedish his history has been full of invasions of Russia. I mean, there's been hitbacks from the other direction, but Sweden has been the uh, sinner more than the sin because sweden is quite a well-protected country behind the baltics and they go over and um if you look back to a thousand years ago 900 years ago stockholm was founded the very city stockholm was a fortress founded uh to to to, to gather the ships that were from the various parts of sweden so they could set out and conquer the the russians the primitive russians and there's always been a, a long a strong history of racism towards the russians and you see that you'll sit see a dinner party in sweden and you know that Swedes are terribly politically correct. So you say, well, I mean, you know, you talk about invaders. I mean, if, if it's 60% young uh, Muslim guys walking down the street at certain hour, I mean, you know, they're nice guys, I'm sure. But I mean, isn't that what you defend your country against? Young males from another culture imposing their culture on yours, you know? Oh, no, 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 no. That's, you can't talk about. No, 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 no. But, well, okay. Well, notice the Russians doing something in Ukraine 5,000 kilometers away. That's the thing we've got to, that's the border we have to worry about, you know? So, you know, people are so politically correct because they're worried that they'll get canceled or fired. They can't talk about immigration, but they can talk about Russia. And so all that pent up, I don't know, natural human savagery, I guess, which exists in all of us, it has its, it's, a, it's out, it's a kind of projected nationalism. Swedes not allowed to be, they have to be globalists at home. So they can, mm. but they're allowed to be nationalists against Russia. They can be Ukrainian nationalists, but they're not allowed to be Swedish nationalists. Mm. I think it's the same in Scandinavia. I think it's a psychological condition. If you live up in a group, if you have a feminist society, all, all the male aggression has to go somewhere. And, and, and <laughs> uh, so, and uh, it's, it's, it's spent on Russia, you know, it's, 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 mm. it's, it's so people worry about that. But anyway, and it, they, then you've got the specific. No, I think it's very interesting because Swedish I noticed history. in the polls, there's no, no nation in Europe which is more Russophobic than Sweden. Sweden is the number know, one of that. I, and know, I always wondered how and why. Yeah, it's yeah, I know. Yeah. But your, so, I mean, your I, I used to quite good. I, I just, um, um, yeah, go ahead. I just finish one thing. I, I mean, because I used to, um, like everyone else, you know, I, I, I'm always attracted to taboos, you know. So, I, for a while, I was quite worried about uh, radical Islam and aggressive Islam. And uh, I'm not really anymore. I've kind of moved on, I think, because I, I say to people, the most fanatic people in Sweden are not ISIS or ISIS cells. It's it's the people sitting in the uh, in the foreign intelligence, the intelligence services here or the, the an analysis group. They say you can't have peace with Russia and things like that. And what else mm -hmm. are you going to do? So mm -hmm. if you get, I'm always against fanaticism and I, I believe in common sense and compromise and being nice. And those people are the big danger to Sweden, I think, not not the Muslims. Anyway. Yeah, uh, we can we can switch over to Putin's interview with that yeah. because 
um but uh, i noticed he's always uh he always said uh he he stressed how, how many times he tried to talk with the west and uh, made offers and they really have been betrayed you can say bon gorbachev was betrayed that is uh that is factual yeah and uh that will stick with us like uh like treating the native indians and in, and in, uh for the white people let's say yeah but um what is your, what was your first impression because i noticed my colleagues were a little bit disappointed because uh, they had a feeling of i heard it all before but i think this is because we listen to let's say sputnik we go to rt english uh, we have uh, um i would um so what was your impression and what was the impression of people around you i always try to get an impression from the normal yeah. people at the bus right. stop yeah because this yeah, is right. really what what it's for yeah 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 well, I had a good impression of the interview. I think that um, I, I WhatsApped a few people and they thought it was a mistake of Putin to launch into the history of 8th century, uh, you know, <laughs> half yeah, an hour, well, listen to me now. I, actually, I, I th I'm thinking of using the Putin gambit when I'm next time. Listen to me now. I'm going to tell you about Swedish history and that'll last 20 minutes of my next interview. <laughs> no. And of course, a lot of people, because he mentioned Rurik, who's the Swedish king, uh, tribal leader, who was the founder of Russia. Yeah, it needs to be, and, because I think this is uh, one thing that needs to be hammered into the brain that uh, people understand that the start uh, of Russia, the, the Russian, the uh, is Kiev. It happened in Kiev. Mm. The start of mm. Russia is in this area of, of mm. the of the what do you call it, Russian Empire culture? Whatever the the uh, the first first cell uh, where the Russian state and he did that. But it's also my colleague called it. Uh, the headline was Professor Putin, and he didn't mean mm. it uh, with a mm. thumb down, but yeah. rather. Uh, imagine anyone from our politicians, I mean, yeah, our yeah. ridiculous politicians in Germany, and being capable of doing this without the teleprompter for <laughs> going oh, yeah, on. Yeah, I, 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 just, yeah. I just thought that was bad. But I mean, sorry, there was a bracket inside a bracket. The Swedes thought, oh, well, they were reminded of the fact that uh, even Putin admitted, they call them Varangians in Russia, but they were Vikings or Swedes. It's, they, that's the Viking, mm. Russian language for Viking. So the Vikings founded Russia. And the Swedes take that, oh, well, you know, we, we, are, we are the founders of Russia. That's why we're allowed to mm. boss them around. There's an arrogance there. Anyway, but I mean, I think no, they just that, they uh, just asked for a, for, a, for a king. I mean, they didn't yeah. want the Swedes to take over. They wanted this person. Yeah, they yeah. asked them to do that. Yeah. Rurik, the Kiev Rus. So that's the thing that you need to remember. Kiev, Kiev Rus. Yeah. I, I, I think um, I think. I can, a lot of it's believable, uh, but I thought that when he talked about Poland, because the thing is, I knew what's going to happen because I was married to a Polish woman. They'll contest everything you say about Poland. And sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. I have my own views about Poland in the 1930s, a really unpleasant regime, and had a non-aggression alliance with, with Germany. Many people forget that. And mm. uh, Hitler didn't want to go to, I mean, he was obsessed with Czechoslovakia because he was an Austrian, but he could, he could work with the Poles. And the poll and the polls were quite close to that, and I think the British seduced them away, and said, "Stand up for Gdansk." Gdansk. Isn't that weird? That is something yeah, that no. that yeah. took me like 30, 40, 30 to thirty to forty years to find out yeah. that that there is this quite strange you could not alliance you couldn't call that, but they're they're yeah. close. The Polish government and the German government. It's, yeah. uh, and there's a kind of an um, imperialist trait also in Poland, with the, if you look into the uh, the yeah okay. I mean, the the, the Poles could have 
uh, chosen the Hungarian route in 19, uh, in a Romanian route, which is to be satellites or friends or whatever. I mean, it's a, I, I want to write a book about it, actually. Um, there's, a, there's a German guy called Gern, Gerd Rondorf, an elderly man who's lined it all up about mm. he doesn't want to apologize for the nazis he just wants to add nuance which is oh, i think the it's Anglo the narrative war that of had the... many fathers is it that book yeah yeah exactly okay. uh, i was going to yeah. email you actually if you've got his email address but he's um he is it's a very sober book as well and very credible because it's a minefield of course anything to do with the um, origins of world war one I. I mean world war ii because the british historian ajp taylor lost his job at oxford or cambridge because he wrote this famous book called the origins of world war ii which Uh, famously said Hitler was a rational politician, you know, he, all this creating a monster out of Hitler obscures the political and historical forces. And the um, Poles treated the Germans very badly, the ones who were living in Silesia and so on. So you can, you can argue those cases, but it's a toxic subject and you can't, like Putin did, when you're already demonized and hated by the Poles, you can't introduce that. I mean, you, you, you're... you're <laughs> You're laying the ground. As soon as I heard the word Poland by the translator, I thought, oh, God, why did he do that? You know, I mean, it's so <laughs> crazy because all the Timothy Snyders and Anne Applebaums and the Sikorskys of this world who have a lock on the New York Times opinion pages and the at BBC, because the BBC and the Americans and the British have always supported the Polish interpretation of Polish heroism versus bad Germans and bad Russians, you know, and it stokes the Polish sense of victimhood and nationalism and all the rest of it. And I knew that that was going to happen. And true enough, you know, there's a lot of fact checking the next day in the Anglo press saying the polls were right. And maybe they were. I think it, it was really unnecessary of Putin to do that as a hostage, leave that to hostage, because obviously your opponents will pick on the weakest part or the most contentious part. So I think that's very foolish. But uh, of course, I admired the fact that he could speak for two hours in fluently and they had a very good interpreter as well very good sentence structure it just flowed very well very professional um but I, th i think if it started in 2014 he wouldn't have lost tucker carlson's attention and uh and, and it shortened it and i saw on a, tele a russian telegram i don't speak russian but somebody translated a russian telegram channel and said oh, apparently mm -hmm. putin was furious with narishkin who's the head of russian intelligence who insisted that he had this long history thing so he felt that it could come across wrong afterwards anyway but i thought the rest of the thing was very clear and it was It was, um, I think, you know, I mean, he appealed to the fact that we were all, the Swedish media, for instance, and the Western media said he's got, Putin's got cancer, 10 types of cancer, you know, he's dying, he's got this and that, he's seeking injections. Well, this was a Yeah, we have this on man. our lower, yeah. lower so-called mainstream media yeah. that uh, they're closer, the soldiers are running away, the generals are all killed, Putin has cancer, he only exactly. has a... Exactly. Uh, a person uh, a lookalike which is uh, yeah. he has been dead for one year and uh exactly. is despised and the military is trying to state a coup against him i get that we get that yeah. every week yeah and uh, right. this is by the way it's not called fake news yeah, that is yeah right exactly well what did the german because i uh, anyway i thought it was good he said it's very clear he wants peace it's very clear that he's a wounded man that's been let down by the west several times and that the russians pulled out of kiev because of um, you know, the Germans had promised him that. So it wasn't a fantastic Ukrainian victory. It was a, it was a goodwill retreat, you know. And uh, the, he 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 put out several pointers to my, in my view, that he was ready for peace. And he says we're absolutely not interested in Latvia or Poland. And I think yes. that that was to me. Even the British press headlined with that because that 
that mm. makes it very clear. It kind of puts a dampener on the on the British propaganda about war starting in the next two three years. You know, he said absolutely not. Anyway, but but what did the what did the Germans say? Because I mean, they're, they're the German media. Um, yeah, they say um, basically it's uh, this very right wing uh, failed journalist Tucker Carlson interviewed the warmongering monster from Russia, uh, Putin. And so, what should you do? And honestly, uh, even our main the main news, which is like Walter Cronkite in the United States in the sixties, um, not a person, but the the TV show, and they said uh, uh, honestly said uh, you shouldn't uh, watch it. Uh, they mm -hmm. advised you to not watch this interview as it could be detrimental to your health. Uh, I'm, I'm making this mm -hmm. up now, yeah. But uh, mm -hmm. but they uh, advised, and then there it was always that there is nothing new. And you know, I think why this is really important because we could ask ourselves when was the last time that anybody that you hear a complete sentence from Putin. I mean, he's uh, hacked into uh, 20 seconds bits. And also, usually, I thought it's very different what I heard. It's not the usual way an interview is run in the Western world. Um, we are not, uh, we are used to 20 second sound bites, which you can cut out and uh, to confrontational talk between the interviewer and, uh, and uh, uh, the guy who's interviewed. And this reminded me a lot of the interviews that I did for the documentaries where I let people talk for half an hour because then mm -hmm. they would start to tell you something. If you always have mm -hmm. a question, then they're always reminded uh, that they should be careful what they say. And in a way, I think it is, um, he didn't deliver these kind of sound bites. And he also, I felt my first idea is when I, after the first 15 minutes of Russian history, which is really um, tedious and in a way sometimes came back to it. But I thought he also tells the Americans that there are 250 years or 300 years, whatever, where you want to start with 1776 or earlier mm -hmm. is just nothing. And uh, also mm -hmm. be reminded that you started with a genocide <laughs> and yeah. uh, Russia has this 1100 years and you see the things moving mm -hmm. on the on the map back and forth. And in, in the end, it was always, I think, rational. Uh, mm. And this was this was uh, and at least on the let's say alternative media side, but there people uh, we get our information from Russia. We have Thomas Röper, which um, who I'm soon going to interview again because uh, this is a man magnificent book that he wrote on the on the all these bribing scandals mm. in Ukraine with Biden, uh, Hunter Biden, and and uh, you could you could come to the conclusion that it's kind mm. of a feudal system takeover of uh, Ukraine, and they want to have the the serfdoms uh, secured. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, mm -hmm. it, probably not, but um, it uh, that would be a possible explanation from the amount of business that they're doing there. But yeah, in yeah. general, it was simply that uh, it was more. It was an immediate warning. It was like mm -hmm. uh, we tell you now about this interview, and boom, there come, up comes the flashlight and in yellow and says, uh, "Don't listen to it. Uh, it's nothing to mm -hmm. listen to. Go off." From the population side, I think what he delivered, you can go back to the speech in one year and there will mm. still be the basic story. For example, mm -hmm. he stressed 2014. He said it started mm -hmm. 2014. If you mm -hmm. go on Google, I just did it uh, and look mm -hmm. for unprovoked war of aggression against Ukraine, you get something like 2.4 million hits. <laughs> and that is that has been all over. That is the story that we got and the story. Mm that um, it's even, uh, I have to say, I have three colleagues that I know who've been in this area 
And one told me stories. This is, for example, when we say it started with 2014, you have to understand that in the Donbass, so in the regions which are ethnically Russian, where the Ukrainian army started to shell and bomb them from the air, their complaints bombing the, mm. the cities. Mm. And then mm. they cut off water, they cut off electricity, they cut off gas, um, mm. they cut off any kind of pensions for the elderly. You wouldn't get, and people, for the elderly, some people, if they were young enough, they could go over the border via checkpoints and mm. uh, like Gaza, it's a little bit like Gaza. You can go then to Ukraine and you can fetch some money, but not if you're elderly, if you have to stay in bed, if you're, so these people were starting to starve. This is mm. what I've been told. There were people at the bus stops who sat on the bus stops, died on the bus stops from from the cold and from hunger so that they would make sure somebody would find their bodies. Mm. So this is the situation that uh, this, the Donbass area was in and we never heard about it. And this is uh, what they made sure and not even Putin told about it now. Yeah? Well, it's, it's interesting. Is that from your interviews when you were out there or from a German yeah, alternative yeah. media this is, sources? For example, Wilhelm Donke Schulz, who had been mm -hmm. in, uh, there for several weeks, and this mm -hmm. is Patrick Bab also. Um, Patrick right. Bab was fired by his university. He was a mm -hmm. professor for journalism because they considered his going to both sides of the front. Mm -hmm. His book is called Both Sides of the Front. And they mm -hmm. called the pseudo, pseudo, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, pseudo accuracy because mm -hmm. he, he looked at both sides and he shouldn't. He should have listened to the official line of his university mm -hmm. towards the Ukraine conflict mm -hmm. and reporting, <laughs> reported. so being a reporter and going there yourself. Mm -hmm. This So this is from, from Dubke Schultz. I, if you want, I can mm -hmm. relate it to him. He has also filmed things like this, yeah? Mm -hmm. So he was there, um, he speaks Russian, so he uh, he could walk around and mm. he was he's still shocked because this, mm. you know, the people starving to death. I never heard that before. Yeah. Well, I haven't. I, I mean, I I knew that the Donbass uh, uh, Russians had been treated badly. And I I mean, I watch as much alternative media as anyone I know. And I on, on the on Eurasia and so on. And like they say, this guy who runs the Duran, Alexander Mercurius, who is, I think speaks Russian. Yeah. I don't. And is very good on at very long length every day to talk about what's going on. I don't think he's ever mentioned it on the shows I've heard. So what you're saying mm. is totally plausible, And but I hadn't heard it. And it's a great plus. Because I, I, obviously it gives a you motivation see, this is the to what the Russians who are did. frail, who are, you know, people that, yeah. uh, uh, for example, another colleague of mine told me that uh, uh, when they were in, in Donbass, uh, he was together with uh, Patrick Bab. Uh, they had only one, every third day, they would have water. Um, in, in the town they were. And mm. uh, the grandmother of one of these guys lived in the ninth floor and the water pressure was not high enough to go bring the, it was, you know, rusty water, brown water mm. that they got from the tap. And they had to carry it uh, in a bucket up to the grandma so that she would get, could le at least make a tea with this brown water. So this mm -hmm. is a situation that was, if you hear that practical, Putin talked about uh, the pensions that now, and that is also true that I heard from from several people, now that uh, uh, that they have the possibility uh, to get uh, money, the uh, you know elderly people get a pension, uh, uh, and the pension is higher than before, which is not difficult. Ukraine is a, I think mm. Trump would call it a shithole. Mm. We have to get, have another round of ads before we go on. <laughs> right. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Joe Biden is fortunate that Pinocchio is a children's story and not reality, for if it were, 
His nose would be so long it would stretch not to the moon, not to Mars, not even to Jupiter, but to Pluto and back. Joe's been an inveterate liar his entire life. He lies as though lies were the very oxygen he needs to survive. And now he's told the biggest lie of all, that until November, Americans will know that the border is open because of Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. No, Joe, the border is open because the people that are running you want a permanent Democrat governing majority, and they think that this is the way to get it. It's not. We're going to put an end to all of this. And as the president promised, we're going to see the most amazing and massive deportation effort in American history. We want immigration, but you gotta come here legally. If you're here illegally, there's the door and out the door you go. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk TNT. What do I love about riding? It's the thrill, the excitement. Riding gives me a sense of freedom. I feel so connected to the road. Riding is like therapy to me. It makes me feel alive. Love riding? Back off. You're listening to Dirk Pullman on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Yeah, and back with my great colleague, Pelini Root. Um, and always a pleasure, Pella, by the way, to say that. Pleasure to be um, here. Yeah. Yeah, that is, um, th we were talking about the situation and uh, just during the, the ads, you said uh, probably in Germany, the one thing is that the population is not very warm-minded. And I think that is compared, I think that the same would be, would be true in France. And uh, if you go to Greece, uh, it's also, they're not very, <laughs> not very much into war. But Germany uh, learned it the hard way. And that is, uh, I yeah. often hear that from elderly people. They say, you know, uh, what, what pushing the, the Russians around, you think that is a good idea? Yeah, that probably not. Yeah. So um, that is something uh, at least where a lot of people, the majority of the Germans still thinks that we should get along with the Russians and that is possible. And if you listen to the interview, I think this is really one of the the, the lessons that uh, he he doesn't say, um, he doesn't show you the middle finger. He, so, he said, basically, we tried it again and again and again, and you, uh, we came back with two black eyes. And uh, but we're still willing to talk if it's reasonable. It's um, mm. I'm I'm very surprised how cool, calm, and collected Vladimir Putin is. And I again have to say he's boxing in a weight class that none of our Western politicians that are here no. uh, can can reach. Yeah. I just say. What's <clears throat> your take? I well, my my take is that um, there are two blocks in Europe in, inside NATO Europe, and it's been since the first day of the war. Really, it's so the Germany, France, Spain, Italy, Greece, maybe. Hungary, of course, and then you've got the, the Protestant countries. I don't know what's wrong with the Protestants because you know it's you think of the the meaning as rational and peaceful, but you've got the, and then on the other block you've got the British leading this block and the Netherlands, Sweden, right? 
and yeah. Kiev and Warsaw. They're the war bock and they're always pushing for escalation. But, and the Germans and the French. Warsaw, of course, is not to... very Protestant. <laughs> uh, I know, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> True. So the theory falls down there. But I, I I don't know. And Germany is, of course, Protestant, at least in the northern half. So half, that half. theory falls uh, down. That is yeah, half, yeah. half. It's if you go to okay. the west where two thirds yeah. of the population live, yeah. it's, uh, it's very Catholic in a way. In the south is Catholic, so we are uh, one of the strengths is we're made of, of everything. Now we also east west both, yeah. So that is that's yeah, yeah, a good mix yeah. if you shake that around. You get a lot of opinions, yeah. Anyway, but just I mean, nor, nor, northern Germany, I feel completely at home. Home in, I mean, you can barely it feels northern like Germany Sweden, is yeah. uh, could be a British Empire part, yeah. Uh, I mean, right, yeah. it's uh, my parents came from Hamburg and. They're like the Swedes, like you said. There was always right. they were always looking with one eye to Britain. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Anyway, no. I, uh, so th there's two blocks, and the the, the novelty, the the Polish London Warsaw axis doesn't surprise me at one bit because I say see these countries as have a strong war culture and a strong. When I went to Poland for the first time and, and married a Polish woman, the the Polish fantasies about their World War Two and Battle of Britain was exactly paralleled by the British working class dreams about them being a great power and so on. So to me, it's they're, they're like the terrible twins of Europe. I mean, um, <laughs> and now the, the novelty is that the Swedes are, are, are revving up their fantasies of uh, Charles the 12th and joining in, you know. Um, is that a but, topic again? I wanted to ask because uh, hardly anybody in Germany knows about Charles the 12th. He's kind of like a, a warrior. Uh, uh, a yeah. kind of a failed warrior uh, king, yeah, who uh, living mm -hmm. not uh, not in luxury, but but uh, uh, bringing Sweden from being a superpower before uh, during because of the Thirty Years' War, bringing yeah. down to uh, losing it, yeah, and that yeah. that's not a person that you can be proud of, or are you? Well, I think it was the fact there's a kind of heroic elegiac loser thing i mean he was struggling against all odds <laughs> i mean it was a war that sweden started but basically sweden had a large north european empire due to four circumstances and and very skillful fighting but a smaller population yes. moving from one country to the next and it was unsustainable so he would have lost it anyway but i mean this whole thing about charles XII and gustav adolf who's the savior of protestantism i mean you, you know that um the the Gottmins Un, that you have badge in the German uh, World War One World War Two badges that came from Sweden because after after ah, the Swedes lost I the thirty know. years okay. thirty years war they were much better than the Germans or apparently I mean you were the real victims of of the thirty years war the Swedes were the yes yeah, Swedes, Swedes were, were the, the Nazis military, of their time. The the yeah, also the, the best SS. soldiers, you could say. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the, I don't all, think all that their they veterans were as bad, uh, yeah, but uh, okay, they were just the very Swedes, extremely good soldiers. Yeah, to put it that way. Uh, the, the, yeah. the, the, I, I don't know if this is true, but if you, uh, the, 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 the the German mothers for two centuries used to tell children if they were naughty that the Swede is coming for you. <laughs> Right, uh, the that is a long time ago, but that is in, yeah. in writing. I can, and um, and um, I, I think that uh, the, the Swedish veterans of the Thirty Years' War went and trained up the Prussians after 1648. So there is a kind mm. of gen, uh, almost historical genetic connection between the Swedish war state and what became the Prussian war state. You know, so there is a there is a link there somehow.
Yeah, and I have to that, disagree because uh, the Prussian war state was, uh, we are known for being Prussian and military, and it's yeah. true in terms of military, but they didn't fight many wars. It was one of, uh, yeah. in terms of the amount of wars, it was one of the most peaceful nations in Europe, yeah, yeah, although yeah. it was a military-based state. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. but And it, you were liberal, uh, weren't you? I mean, you, uh, you were colorblind. As at they that say, time, it was, history. yeah. It was, uh, in a way, uh, uh, I still I like to read about it because it was in good order, really in good order. And it was also meaning that uh, there's this famous saying from Frederick the Great who said, uh, you can all get uh, happy, not happy, but uh, religiously happy by any way you want. He was not, he was, you know, a friend of Voltaire. They had, uh, they visited each other. So mm. there was a lot of, of enlightenment in the state, uh, but still it was a kind of, uh, military state, yeah, right. Uh, well, so I, I hope our audience are following us, our excursions into history. But we're talking about <laughs> okay. Uh, now we, we Charles, should get no, no, back so to Putin. The, 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 no, no, <laughs> the polls. I may, I'm giving war. the Putin now, or you two. We talk about history, yeah, and uh, it might be getting boring. So let's get exactly. back to Ukraine. So, so if it's good enough for Putin. It's good enough for me. Yeah, give me half an hour and I'll tell you. Now I can say that the thing about the, the, the Swedes uh, was that their fantasies about war. If you look at uh, I was doing my book about Olaf Palme, and I read a lot of Swedish history books from around 1900. And there, they couldn't stop talking about their history as a as a war making nation. So, uh, the thing about Swedes as as being peaceful neutralists, humanitarian, nice social democrats—that's all post 1933, and that that but that is not the older Swedish self identity. The older mm -hmm. Swedish self-identity until 1914 or 15 was that we're warriors and we just haven't had an, a, a worthwhile enemy. You know? mm -hmm. um, so, and I think that I, what I fear is that uh, NATO, there's some forces in Do Sweden. Do you think it's coming to... back to that? Because when I, I read I, well, newspapers I fear... in Sweden now and, and, and so there's the church talking about being ready to have 5% of yeah. the people in graves and uh, the young people, how many of them would volunteer for the Swedish forces? Yeah. And uh, I mean, it uh, sounds a little bit there, it's like crazy in original I... language. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think that uh, um, there, there is a sector of the population that really, especially in the military and so on, that kind of still interested in that stuff. And um, mm. I... Uh, I think that there might be some people like the, the powerful oligarchs, you know, the Wallenbergs and so on. They look, Sweden has had, Sweden's economy is not going that great. And maybe if they think we can turn um, Sweden into the northern bastion of NATO, you know, we're going to fight the Russians for the next 50 to 100 years, one way or another. And, uh, you know, the roads are a bit potholed here. So we can create ba a network of bases, motorways all funded by the American taxpayer or the British or the Spanish taxpayer. And we'll stand up for that because we'll, we've got our Baltic Sea between us and the Russians. And we'll be, and with our intelligence capabilities and our signals capabilities and our AI, we'll be fighters for this in this new generational war. That's what worries me. There's some mm -hmm. people in Sweden thinking that, you know, this will be our new mission. Before we were saving black people, now we're going to fight the Russians. Sort of, that's summarized. Okay. So is it the old divide in Sweden between the industrial sector, which is more right-wing and which let the left people go as, as long as there was no communism, but uh, still democracy yeah. or it's deeply ingrained like that? We only have about one and a half minutes left. Yeah, Hill, yeah something so that like that. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Well, it's the old bourgeois elite, if you like, the upper class elite, perhaps close to the mm. royal family or the, arist the old aristocracy and the Navy, for instance, and so on. I don't know how how widespread it is. I mean, it's just 
I don't know. I, I worry about it, you know, that 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 because uh, that, that, there is a right wing government now, and the Sweden Democrats, mm. who like uh, the AFD, have been had a slightly neutral approach because they stand up for the old working class, and they're more against mm. immigrants than they are against Russia. They're kind of siding with that now because yeah, but our AFD is the only party right now in the parliament which is opposition to the Ukraine yeah. war policy. That's also yeah, in weird. Sweden, That's not all, so. The, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Okay, uh, it is. Um, yeah, I think uh, I wondered what was going on because my, uh, of course, from the people that I know, and you know some of the people that I know in Sweden, uh, it was uh, a very social democratic view that I got, and that was uh, very peaceful. Yeah, it was uh, about neutrality, and these were yeah. people which you wanted to have as neighbors. But uh, anyhow, um, we are at the end of the of the show right now. Thank you very much, Pale, for getting uh, some insights. So Thanks, yeah, Dave. it's uh, same with us um, all over again. Yeah, so we are very close together, Germany and Sweden, but not in a good way. Goodbye. <laughs> bye, bye, dear. Thanks a lot. <laughs>